back later um, and doing this every so often. So I think we're going to do this again in February. We're going to have a marriage night. We won't do the same exact stuff. We'll do something different. Um, maybe have different people talking to us. Um, but our goal is to, is to always promote healthy relationships and healthy marriages. Um, and so some of you guys aren't married yet. Some of you are getting married soon. And we want to help you get off on the right track, start off well. Um, and for those of you that have been married a long, long time, um, I really feel like there's a lot that we can all learn. So one of the things that, that we're going to talk about tonight is, um, is the idea, and, and I, was, I was prepping for this at the same time that I was prepping for um, a, a wedding ceremony I was doing this past weekend. So um, there's a lot of stuff in here that I was like, man, I'm, I'm using this in my wedding ceremony I did. And so it's made me think more and more about it. But um, there's, a, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 19 and um, verses 3 through 6. And, and here's what the Bible says. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. You may remember this from our big question series. I use this verse. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And, and right off the bat, what I want to show you or, or talk to you about is this. The world is going to constantly try to divide us. And, and the world's going to, Satan is going to try to divide us over any reason. Like, he doesn't need it to be. We can read all the statistics about most marriages are divorced because of money or because of adultery or because of... It can be any reason nowadays. Like, when you look at how and why marriages break up, um, even on TV or different places, any reason. And so that's what, this is what's been happening for thousands of years. Haven't you, Jesus replies, haven't you read the scripture? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. He said, this is, explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so one of the main words we want to talk about tonight is the idea of the one. Sometimes if we're not careful, we get focused on the two. We get focused on the individual and I get focused on our my needs being met and and how is my life going in this relationship instead of focusing on the one. The one is the marriage. The marriage itself becomes an entity all of its own. As a matter of fact, the wording used here where it says the, the two are joined together and become one, that word become there means to exist as one body, to exist as one person. And so our marriage in and of itself is one. And so, so yes, is it good to work on yourself? Of course it is. Is it good for self-help? Of course it is. But if I'm never working on the one, then, then my marriage is going to fall apart. I've got to work on the one. And, um, and so that's one of the things we're kind of focusing on tonight is the idea of working on the one. Something Perry and I have said from the beginning, um, when we get frustrated with each other or we get frustrated with our marriage, is we try to remind ourselves that, that come Monday, actually, our marriage will turn 18 years old. So we've been married 18 years on Monday. Yay. But here's the thing that, that we view it as. You think about how stupid 18-year-olds are. Right. If you've ever had an 18 year old, I've been an 18 year old and I was really dumb. I made a lot of bad mistakes at 18 years old. So so whenever we talk about our marriage being 18, we realize there should be some levels of maturity that we're walking in. But at the same time, our our marriage is just now about to be able to vote. Right. So our marriage is not that mature yet. We still have some bumps and bruises that we're going to have. How long have you guys been married? 
just turned 10. Colt is 10 years old. So think about that. When you think about how mature your marriage is, your marriage is as mature as Colt, right? So, so it's just something It gives us a little perspective. If we view the marriage as one and then we work on the one, we raise the one, just like I would raise a child, just like if Colt were in here, you know, how would we deal with him? How do we deal with each other? And that's, that's one of the things I want us to think about tonight as we, as we move into this. And something we talk, all talked about when we were meeting together is none of us feel qualified to be up here. Not, so I want you to know that we do not have perfect marriages. You have stuff to offer to us just like we have stuff to offer to you. So don't feel like we have it together. Honestly, as we were preparing for this, Gabriel and I both looked at each other and said, we've got work to do. And so know that we're talking to ourselves as we're talking to you um, through this too. Yeah. So um, what does a healthy marriage look like? Um, I, I think I think a healthy marriage, I always try to think of Let things. Me as, hear. Think, here we go. Here we go. Um, I think a healthy marriage looks, um, I always think of a plant. Jesus used a lot of agricultural um, uh, parables, and so I always think of a plant, a plant being healthy. At our house, I hope it's not a plant because neither one of us can keep a plant alive, right? Somebody gave Perry a plant one time. They said, you can't kill this plant. This plant, all you got to do is put it outside, and it will grow. And Perry put it outside, and that thing withered. I mean, it died instantly. Um, so I think, about, I think about plants when I think about a marriage, and I think there's three things that make up a healthy plant. Is the plant maintained, right? Does it have weeds growing around it? Does it have um, good soil? Is it maintained? Is the plant growing? That's always important. And then is the plant producing something? And so I think for a marriage, um, we've got to make sure that our marriages are being maintained, that they're growing, and that they're producing something. And so um, John and Anna, I feel like, can offer a lot of really good perspectives as to what maintenance looks like in a marriage because they're constantly working on their marriage. Yeah, I just I think for anybody that's married, you just have to be very intentional about the maintenance of your marriage. Because if you're not intentional about it, just like anything else in life, you're not going to do it. And so I think about myself, I'm very intentional about showing up to work. I'm very intentional about feeding our retirement. I'm very intentional about making sure the kids have what they need. But then sometimes we feel like we can put our marriage on autopilot and just start cruising, and then before you know it, the brakes, the double stomp, you know, it can come quick. And most most of the time at inopportune times, if we're being honest, um, yeah, Anna and I always joke, but it's not funny. But we always get our really good arguments in on Saturday night. And I think she does it on purpose because she knows that I have to get completely clean in my heart before I leave worship. Um but you do it too, so you might be in sin. I'm not sure about that. Why don't you talk a little bit about counseling? We go to counseling. Um, now, some of the ways that we have maintained a healthy relationship with each other is through counseling. We're firm believers in it. This church is firm believers in it. Your pastors are firm believers in it. And um, we design our small groups around things um, like good interests and all of that, but we also design them around needs that people might have. So 
Pastor Gabriel mentioned finances earlier in a marriage. And we design our small groups sometimes around if you need help in that area, then there is a small group for you. We have marriage small groups. If you need help in that area, then there's a marriage small group for you, and so on. So we do counseling, we do small groups, and then we do accountability. And so this is where I'll start opening up a little bit more to y'all. Um, this is not my favorite chair to be in, but I will tell you that this is one of the most exciting moments that I've had because I get the opportunity to tell you a story about my life. And I actually, in some of the darkest moments in our marriage, um, I actually practiced this because I needed hope in the moment, and I would practice telling my story and telling my testimony to people, telling, telling you how God took me from where I was to where I am. And so it's a very special four-year process for me to be able to share this. But I do have an accountability partner, and I know that you've probably heard that word before, but this is someone that I've known for a very long time. And when I think about my accountability partner, what she does is she brings out the best in me. And she's not my priest. I don't go to her and confess my sins, and then she tells me things that I need to do. I go to her because she knows who I am, and she knows the Lord really, really well. And she's able to pull things out of me that I didn't know were there. And so since she knows those things, when... I tell her, hey, Jonathan and I got into a really big argument, and I may or may not have stabbed him in the face with a pen. That you think it's funny. It is funny now. Um, but no, 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 no. That didn't happen, I don't think. But may have blacked out. It's okay, though. It's okay, though. It's okay. But she's like, well, that is not a very good thing to do, okay? That was mean. That was ugly. That's not of the Lord. You need to apologize to Jonathan. I don't want to hear those words at all, but I trust her. I have placed her in my life on purpose, and she knows this, and I just say, okay, but what he said was wrong, and she says, yes, what he said was wrong. You are always right, Anna. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't say that. Yes, what he said may have been heard or processed wrong to you, but what you did is wrong, and you're responsible for yourself. So you need to go to him, and you need to apologize, and you need to apologize to the Lord for saying that to his son. And I'm like, oh, man. So accountability is more than just a fun word to say, a good Christian word to say um, in this context. It is a need that we all have. Um, and, and just to back up a little bit on what you're saying about accountability, I think we all need to look at ourselves and look at our marriage and see, are we distancing ourselves from things that hold us accountable spiritually? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of ministry hours in this room, and we all could have stories and tell stories about how when people started distancing, and, I, and my, my preacher hat's not here. It's at home. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm saying what I've observed before, ministry was my profession or anything like that but when you watch people distance themselves from church or distance themselves from people that would lovingly tell them what what path they're on isn't healthy when you see people move themselves away from that um, you see marriages really start to struggle you see um, relationships really start to struggle 
So I think we should all look at ourselves, take a hard look and say, am I drawing closer to things that will hold me accountable spiritually? Because Pastor Gabriel was talking about the one, meaning the marriage, but also as individuals, if we're distancing ourselves, it's really saying a lot about our priorities. And it is, and it is uncomfortable. And no one likes to be told, you shouldn't have tried to stab me with the pen. But it's very important that she knows that that is a felony. <laughs> and I will report her yesterday. He didn't, you know, though. Like, Did he? No, I'm, I'm sitting right here. Now. That really didn't happen. Hey, can I jump in real quick, too? Of course. So whenever you talked about distancing yourself, um, one of the things that Dad pointed out to me when I was a kid, we were, um, we were in church and, and I'm not saying, I'm about to say this and all my back row people are going to be like, ah, you're talking to me, uh, Sophie and Lee. Um, but, but here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Um, one of the things we noticed in church and he pointed this out to me one time, we used to have a balcony in the church we were in and, and he was like, I hate the balcony. And I was like, why do you hate the balcony? He's like, because the balcony separates the church people. And he said, if you'll watch people, he said, you'll see people start off on the front row when they're excited about God and they're excited about church and they're, they're you know, wanting to serve God. And he said, you'll watch them um, whenever they don't want to be accountable anymore. They begin to move further and further and further back. He said, eventually they get to the back, the back row and from the back row, they go up to the balcony and in the balcony, they're totally separated. And he said, next thing you know, they just slip right out of the church and you never see them again. Now, I'm not saying that is a literal, if you move seats and all of a sudden, like if that were the case, then Bobby and Michelle just got way more holy, right? They're moving forward. Um, Paul and Vicky are on, they're about to be out. But the idea is true of separating yourself. The more we distance ourselves from people, and, and some of you may say, well, how do I get an accountability partner? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. The best way to do it is, is for you to take the initiative and talk to someone. Um, for example, I have people, not even in this church, but I have people sometimes that'll say, hey, I really have some questions I need to ask you about God, or I need to ask you about uh, the faith, or I need to ask you about church. Can I take you to lunch? And I'm like, yeah, definitely. But whenever they try to put pressure, like if someone's like, oh, well, Gabriel never talks to me. How can I be accountable? Well, you, you've got to put yourself out there sometimes. And, and you need to make it appealing to that other person. I'm not even talking about me now. You need to make it appealing and say, so don't say, hey, I need you to take time out of your day to do something and pay money. No. Hey, I will take you to lunch. I will take you to dinner. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Um, I just need someone to talk to. And that's a great way to find accountability. Sometimes there's a stigma with the word counseling, too. Like it's like we're having problems and we don't need to go to counseling until there's problems. Counseling can literally be like what he said meeting with another couple and going to lunch. Um, it can be, hey, I need your advice. I'm having this issue. It doesn't have to be hard or I pay lots of money. Yes, I do think there is a place for professional marital, marital counseling, and um, but don't make it harder than it has to be. And a lot of times when we um, have problems or when, even when we think everything is good, we think I don't, I don't need that in my life. And like Jonathan said, we have to run maintenance. And so push in, push into godly couples, push into a godly man or a woman that can speak to your life and to your marriage individually too. And 
and I would, I would even say seek out some people. You can ask us for advice. We can help you. But there's a reason we can we tell have, you who to avoid. Huh? We can tell we you, can who, tell to you who to avoid. avoid. Yeah, don't talk to these folks about marriage. There, there's some, um, and, and I'm not saying this in a, in a derogatory manner. Sometimes I joke about being old or whatever. Um, but there's a lot of wisdom in, in years. So like my folks being here, Paul and Vicky. I mean, Paul and Vicky aren't old. Um, my parents are very old. But um, there are some people, Paul and Vicky. how long have y'all been married? 37 years, right? That's almost as old as I am. Um, Mom and Dad, how how long have y'all been married? 52 years yet last week, yesterday, two days ago, Sunday. 52 years. Think about that. So can you come talk to me about your marriage? Absolutely you can. I've got 18 years worth of experience to give you. Can you talk to John and Anna? Sure. They've got 10 years worth of experience. But you've got two couples right here that have a combined almost 100 years, right, worth of experience. They're really old. You've got, you've got people, for real, you've got people that you can talk to. And I think sometimes people think, if I'm going to get advice, if I'm going to get counsel, it's got to come from a professional or it's got to come from the pastor. And I'm telling you right now, I'll be glad to talk to you, but I'm limited in my ability to help you. But you've got people here that have been through some storms that I haven't been through yet. And I think it's good to cross the generations. I think it's bad when only the same generation hangs out with that generation. If you're 20 and you're only hanging out with 20-year-olds, your level of maturity is going to be limited. So you need to find some people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s. Gary and Sarah Wilson um, come to our church. They sit right over here usually. Tons of wisdom they can offer you. Um, and, and if I can't say... I. Gabriel can tell you, Anna can definitely tell you, I would rather save money than spend it. But if our marriage really is priority, I I would say spend the money to go to a professional counselor too. Because we spend money, God knows, on everything else. And so why not invest monetarily in counseling if there's things? Because we've all got different backgrounds. We all come from different places. But, I mean, if we can let our kids play travel ball year-round, I feel like we can find uh, uh, money for a counseling session once a quarter. There are lots of counselors in the city. Um, Our church, typically, because Perry and I have relationship, personal relationships with some of these counselors, um, we typically send people over to First Baptist. There is a uh, counseling group there. They're not all, like, from First Baptist, but that's where their office is. And so um, the church, sometimes when people come to us and they're struggling in their marriage, uh, we feel like as a church, we feel like it's an investment for us to pay for their first session. Um, sometimes, you know, we, we try to help you. So if you come to me and you say, hey, I'm really needing some help in my marriage. I need something beyond what you can give me. I need someone that's professional, that knows what they're talking about. Um, we will, yeah, not you. All you know is the Bible. Um, then then I, will, I will help you. And, and if you have another counselor, that's fine. But I'm just telling you, there is a group over there that, that we know personally. Um, there's a lady named Brenda that we sent people to. Her husband really helps with um, military, uh, former military. Her husband is former military and has good success with that. 
Um, Nikki O'Dell, her husband's one of the pastors at First Baptist, but she's a good friend of ours. So we send people over there all the time. So that, that would be a great suggestion for you if you're saying, hey, I would love to do counseling with my spouse every other month or something like that. You pick out your times. Um, that's a group you can, you can get in touch with, and, uh, and we can help you find phone numbers or whatever for that. Um, did you want to say something about this, babe? I, I was just going to mention the Bible says multiple times. Um, we don't even have to put them all up there, Julianne. But uh, basically the Bible says in the book of Proverbs three or four times, there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. It says over and over again, uh, the words it different ways. But if, if you try to go at it on your own, you're going to struggle. But if you'll get people to counsel you, you get advisors, you get help, then, then you'll make it. And I would encourage you to find a Christian counselor. Yes. Um, so many times um, from in the secular world, they do, they do give you an out too soon, I feel like. And you want that godly perspective. If you're striving to have a Christian marriage, you need to have that Christian perspective. So I would encourage you to find someone that, that hears from the Lord and seeks God um, and has... God's perspective for your marriage, not just a worldly perspective. Um, the next thing that in that in that same section on maintenance is um, the idea of communication. And I'm going to defer to these guys, and I'm going to ask you guys a question. Um, I always say, I always tell Jonathan, I'm like, you are so much better at arguing than I am. Um, when and this is this is legit. I'll open the curtain back a little bit. Like, I don't mind having an argument with somebody. I don't care for it, but I don't mind having an argument with you about something. But when it comes to her, if she and I are arguing about something, nine times out of ten, I'm just going to shut up. Like, I just don't, I don't do well arguing with my spouse. And I'm always going to try to win. So Always. She's uber competitive. And so it, our arguments don't go well. No. They end up just stopping. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy. That's, it really isn't. And so, um, so this is one of those areas I want to hear how these guys argue or disagree um, without being offensive to, to someone or being defensive back whenever someone disagrees with you. <laughs> Anna, I'm not saying they're the best right at it, but right they're better than me at it. So I want to hear their perspective. All right. So I love communication. I love. She loves communication. I I love, she can talk. I can talk. I'm not. I'm a little, a lot nervous up here, so maybe not so much. But um, I can talk. I enjoy communication. To me, feels safe. Um, communication to Jonathan feels controlling or overwhelming because we are different. But that translates into our arguments because I, I'm, I'm gonna be in it until I feel like we have reached a resolution. There is closure. And I will talk until we're done. Like, I'm like, no, you're not leaving. You're telling me how you're going to feel. Like, you are telling, you know, so I'm, I'm in it to win it. Um, That's after the 24-hour period. So yeah. she, she makes, yeah. she, yeah. Wants, she wants there to be conclusion, but you have to wait a full day, full 24 hours before that conclusion can happen. Because there's a Yeah, there's well, like okay, this is what we learned. Thing. I feel like this is what we learned about ourselves. So Jonathan is very good in the moment. Like he's so quick and it's so good and it's so right and it's so direct. And stop it. He knows it. It's okay. It's also a strength. Also, I feel like it can be a weakness. Um, But 
for me, I'm like, what? But, uh, uh. and so I need the 24 hours in order to collect my thoughts. Like, I need to process what, like, how mean am I going to be to you? Like, I, I need to figure some things out. Um, and I, I, really, I really do struggle with that. And so what I learned about four years ago is we were in an argument. It was not a disagreement or a little, like, oh, rainbows, butterflies conversation. It was, an, it was an argument. Like, it was intense. And I just laid in the bed, and I said quietly to myself, <laughs> I said, Holy Spirit, if you don't help us, nobody can. And I have never meant something more in my life because I was desperate. I needed words. I needed to be able to communicate to him how I was feeling, and I needed him to understand, and I needed him to be able to communicate in a compassionate or understanding way so that I could understand it. So the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, he showed up, and he helped. And I don't mean like we were, you know, slain in the Spirit on our bedroom floor speaking in tongues or something crazy, but I mean his presence was there in our minds and in our hearts. And all of a sudden, things changed. And I was able to stop spouting and being mean to him and able to actually use words to communicate how I felt. And he understood. He was like, oh. And I was just like, oh, God just showed up in our bedroom. Like, it was such a good, real feeling. And that was one of the ways that we learned how to, to argue effectively is by asking, inviting the Holy Spirit into our argument. And I don't have any Bible for this, so if you want it, you're not going to get it for this part. But <clears throat> have you ever thought about why God made us so different? Like, I, I, when, when we would have arguments, I just... It always confused me. I'm like, God, I love her a lot. But this whole concept doesn't seem to be conducive to work all the time. Because a lot of couples are very, the guy is a lot different than the girl. And I'm like, why Why is it set? And I, I'm not going in a weird direction. I'm just saying, like, why? Why did? why did you make us opposites? It is so much work. And I feel like the Holy Spirit pointed this out to me. This is like, Jonathan, that's the point. Is if you, I want you to work. I want you to work through the difficult things. Because if you work through the difficult things, then the sweeter things will be that much more sweeter. Does that make sense? So like if you're, if you're willing to put the work in, because we all, I mean, there, there's, a lot of you online watching, there's there's a lot of you here that might be on um, your second marriage. Like, it, you, we bring stuff in. It, you don't even have to be married more than once. Like, we all bring different backgrounds. We all bring different hurts. We all bring different tendencies and pain. But I think God knows if we are willing to work, He'll bless it. But we have to be willing to work. Let me tell you this scripture. This scripture is Matthew 5, 9, and it says... God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. There is Bible for it. You're welcome. Boom. What? That's teamwork. That's teamwork. Um, that actually 
kind of segues into one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, and the question is, how much does the love language and a personality matter? Okay, I, I want to interrupt. You still, you want to have so more to this argument? No, love oh, language. Okay. So love language. Okay. So Bobby, didn't he do an awesome job Sunday preaching? Yes. Well, I mean, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. So when you were when you were telling the story about how you were folding the clothes and you fixed dinner and you did like all this stuff, and I was thinking in my head, I was sitting right there, I was like, he's got her. Like, he has checked, he has checked every box imaginable. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, go Bobby, man. Like, you just, mm, yes. And then he said, you just, you just threw it all in the trash. You came home and you were just like, no, Bobby, this is terrible. This is what I really needed. And I was like, I got offended. On the front row, I'm like, Michelle is a horrible person. <laughs> like, she's horrible. And then Bobby just, so, so, so I'm really proud of Bobby. I'm mad at Michelle. And then Bobby started talking about, you didn't reference it, but you started talking about love languages. And his point was, it's not what Michelle needed in that season. And I'm going to give it back to Anna because she loves to talk about this. But I think for guys, like, a lot of us think really practical. And so we're like, well, by God, I'm going to bring home a paycheck. And, you know, you you handle this, that, and the other. But I feel like if we're not trying to analyze what our wives need emotionally, then we're going to be missing out on a lot of good growth. Hey, and we just say too that um, we're 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 throwing out love language and personality without explaining because some people may not know what that what we're talking about. So, love languages. There's a book by Gary Chapman on the back of your of your notes tonight. We gave you a couple of different books to reference if you want to check them out. But love languages talks about different ways that we um, give and receive love, and then there is another um, something that's very popular right now is the Enneagram. You know, what number are you? And I don't even care or know what number I am. But um, but a lot of people care about that kind of stuff. And so... Um, You'll care about it after I talk yeah, after about Anna it. after Anna talks about it. it. Um, but yes, there is... Uh, but I, I want you to understand that's that's what we're referencing right here as Anna talks. Because I don't want you to be lost on that one. Go ahead, Anna. Okay, so there are five love languages. And it's quality time, acts of service... Um, physical touch, gifts, and what's the last Words one? Of Words of affirmation. Okay, no. that's John's first one. <laughs> that's the one I forgot. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Fun times. Um, yeah, okay, so on. speaking of Sunday, I knew where you were going. Like, you started off, and I was like, oh, I'm on Michelle's team right now. Like, before you even started, I was like, yes, girl, I see you, I feel you, yes. Okay, so the five love languages really takes the guesswork out of how to speak love to your spouse in a way that they understand it. So one thing that Jonathan and I went through was um, he was speaking his love language to me, which his main one is words of affirmation. I was like, oh, that's great. I love words. Sure. Okay. But it's not really filling my tank. What really fills my love tank is what we call it, a love tank. Okay. If you're on E... You need more love. Obviously, if you're full, your honey's done his job well. 
Um, so my top one is quality time. And if you want to guess what Jonathan's bottom love language is, anybody? Quality time. time. There we go. Okay, and then. Is yours, is your last one quality time? My last one? No, I think that's my last one. Oh, okay. Right sibling thing meant something. And Gabriel well, is really, really good at giving gifts. He loves giving gifts, but that's probably my bottom one. I appreciate them. I really do. But it's not something, I'm not always looking for the gift, you know? And But it just shows you how you you tend to do something that you're maybe naturally good at, you know, but it may not be what your spouse needs. Um, but anyway. Yeah. No, that is totally right. So... Jonathan is speaking words of affirmation. Like, Gabriel's bringing presents home for Perry, probably. And Perry's like, thanks, honey, but I didn't really want another pair of shoes. Because um, we all know that's probably what he buys her, right? But he can't buy me shoes. Yeah. Oh, just kidding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to turn down that. But he was trying to speak a love language to me. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's okay. I'm, I'm, but I still feel a little bit empty. I need quality time. And he, that is not how he worked. Right. And so and I would try to give him quality time and he would be like, please, for the love, give me some space. And I was like, I just want to hear how your day was. I just want to connect to your world. And he didn't want that. He didn't want that. So it makes me laugh now in the moment, like before we knew all this, it was like it it was rejection. Yeah. On a whole nother level. Like you're rejecting me now. Uh, But all of that to say. In communication, I think that this can all be lumped in there because I'm trying to communicate to John how much I love him with my love language that I have, and it's literally bouncing off him like this. He is not absorbing it. And do you know how annoying that is? Very, very annoying. So he's like, oh, I love you. You're great. Peace out. I'll see you later. And I'm like, I don't, that's not going to work for me. And then the, the same thing goes for him until we learned We need to figure stuff out. How do we work? And then, like, share it with our spouse. This is how I work, John. I like quality time. So I just need five minutes a day, morning or night, for you to come in and just say, hey, communicate with me about your day, and then we're done. And then when he comes home, I'm like, babe, thank you so much for providing for our family. Thank you for communicating with me this morning. You know, like, things like that. That is how he receives love. He just drinks it in, and then when he gives me the quality time, I drink it in. I feel full, right? So it is important in your marriage that you understand how you give love and how you receive love. And it's important that y'all talk about that so that you can love well. Because we did not love each other well for a while, and it did not feel good. And that was not how God designed it to be. So know yourself and your love languages. And kind of a dirty trick, too, is love languages change in seasons. And so Surprise. that that's... Gabriel's always guessing what mine is. That, <laughs> what that is it today? Is, that is very hard. But if you're, if you're wanting to commit and really, once again, make it a priority, um, I noticed real quick when we when we had the second child, quality time wasn't as important as what she Sometimes used to always it say. Sometimes down to number two. 
Sometimes it's acts of service. Acts of service went way up there. I'm like, the honey, you changed that diaper. You have never been more attracted to me in my entire life. I am my, like my love tank is overflowing. Okay. What are, Perry and Gabriel, what are some of the signs of growth in marriage? Um, well, let me give you a quick verse. I know we're kind of in a hurry here now, but um, Anna I was going to say this. I'm, I'm about to do a series on First and Second Peter. And I was like, man, I'm going to save this first. I'm not going to throw it out there tonight. But I'm going to help Anna out. So the Bible says in First Peter 3, 7, it says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Um, she, may be the weak, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her um, as you should um, so your prayers will not be hindered. A couple of quick notes. That's a lot to unpack, so I won't unpack it all. But he says, uh, treat your wife with understanding. The idea there that Peter's sharing is that you need to learn your spouse. He says you need to understand your spouse. You need to seek to understand. And so just what Anna's talking about with the personality, with the love language, it, it should be my goal if I want my prayers not to be hindered, right? I can't believe Peter threw that in there. Um, but he, Peter's like the only guy that's married, right, writing this stuff. So he throws that in there. So if I want to have a good marriage and I want God to listen to my prayers, I need to try to understand her. So I need to study her. I need to invest in her. I need to talk to her about what makes you feel loved, what makes you feel happy. Um, I need to learn as much as I can learn about her. Yeah. Does that make sense, fellas? Um, cause that's the part we don't care about for the most part, right? Like I don't need all the numbers and all the languages just, you know, if you just do what I need you to do, then we're happy. Um, it's not like that in reality. So anyways, sorry, you were saying, what is a growing, um, what is a growing marriage relationship look like? Um, or some signs of growth. Um, I think I think for one thing, you need to understand your role in your marriage, and you need to grow in that role. So, um, so I think as a man, we have a role of being a leader in our home. Um, Ephesians five. I did a I did a message on Ephesians five. Maybe it was last summer. Um, I'm not saying the message is really good, but the verse is really good. If you want to go back and listen to it from last summer and summer scriptures, um, but there's just a place in there where. Uh, Paul lays out the roles of a man and a woman in a marriage. And the man's job, he has a responsibility as a leader um, in that home. I think if you grow in your responsibility, then you're going to see growth in the marriage as a whole. Um, same is true with the wife. Um, she should be growing in her, in her role um, within the marriage. So a verse I wanted to throw out, if he, uh, Genesis two eighteen. The Bible says, Then the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone, amen, um, for me to be alone anyways, I'm not good at it. Um, I will make a helper who is just right for him. The, the term there, helper and just right, there's a, a couple of Greek words, uh, I mean Hebrew words on that. And basically what it means is, it's um, Ezer is helper in uh, Kenan Dog or whatever, anyways, doesn't matter. It means um, that which is opposite but corresponds. In other words, when God said, I'm making a helper, I'm making someone suitable for Adam, he says, I'm building someone that, that fits hand in glove. 
I'm building someone that is um, not just not just someone that's suitable, like that's okay for you. I'm building someone specifically for you that that goes with you um, spiritually, physically, um, emotionally. And, and so there's this place where we need to grow together, understanding our roles. If if it's all about my needs being met, then we're not going to grow. But if I can say, I know that I fit her perfectly, there's areas of weakness or areas of lack in her life, and it's my job to fill in those spots, and it's her job to do the same for me, and I grow in those areas, then our marriage is going to grow as a whole, in my opinion. Um, the Bible also says in Second Peter, again, sorry, I'm on a Peter kick. That's what I'm reading a lot of. Um, in Second Peter, he uh, goes through um, in verse in chapter one. He goes through all these things that we need to be growing in in our life. He talks about um, knowledge and endurance and patience and self control. These are all good things for your marriage. Godliness. He talks about um, brotherly affection. I know that sounds weird when we talk about brotherly affection. I don't want her to think of me as her brother, um, but that's a that's a level of friendship that we need to have. Right. That's a little we need to have some friendship going on. And it says love. But he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that we're growing in some areas that we're adding some areas to our life um, and to our marriage. And so a growing marriage is a marriage that's developing. It's maturing. If at 18 years we're still struggling the same way they are at 10 years, then we're not growing. We're something's wrong with us. If at 50, however many years they've been married, if they're still struggling with the same stuff we're struggling with, then they're not growing. Like there should be a level, there should be levels of maturity in our marriage. Go ahead, babe. Red flags. Um, Something um, I think about whenever kind of going back to the counseling or um, communicating with each other and um, other couples is you'll notice flag red flags whenever things aren't going going well and a lot of times we ignore them over and over and over until we're in a bind you know until things are really bad but if we I I was thinking about it if we and it's is probably really the Holy Spirit as a Christian couple it's the Holy Spirit saying hey look here's something in your marriage that needs to be addressed but like one of those I think like even with us before has been um maybe an unresolved argument okay so then it just festers right that's a that's a that's a flag or maybe um we are both doing our own own thing we're kind of he's doing his thing and i'm doing my thing you know and that might be a flag where we're not spending time together or i don't care i don't care what he's doing this is just the way our marriage is going to be that's a flag and then there's also flag signs of a good marriage, you know, like whenever you're talking about your future, whenever you're um, talking about parenting or talking about uh, laughing together, like those are good signs of a healthy, growing marriage um, that someone else can, can look up to you and can get advice from you. Those are signs. But I think um, instead of just ignoring and think this is the way it's, it's going to be, um, Going ahead and addressing it then. Going ahead and getting help at the very first sign of a red flag. And and like we said before, it doesn't have to be a huge ordeal. It may say, hey, I noticed this in our marriage. Um, and I don't, I don't want it to be this way. I don't want us to be living two separate lives. Or 
I, I want to care about what you're doing. So just, I want you to be sensitive of that. Like, even as we're talking, you might feel some flags, you know, and don't feel like a failure. That was another thing that we were talking about. You're going to, things will surface, and we in no way want you to feel like, man, my marriage is terrible. Don't feel that way. We want you to feel encouraged and know that whenever things surface, it's really kind of a good thing if it's addressed. Um, Something we talked about is we talked about roles and we talked about um, being the husband leading. Um, One of the things you hear a lot of is the husband should be the spiritual head of the house, right? Um, But sometimes the husband doesn't feel qualified to be the spiritual head of the house. In, In America, really, uh, one of the one of the problems and issues that we have is that the the wife tends to be the more spiritual, and the husband is not. And in churches for forever, it's like the women lead the way spiritually, and there's nothing wrong with a woman being spiritual. Don't get me wrong. Um, obviously, I've got her up here. Um, she's very spiritual, but I I think there is something wrong with a man not being spiritual. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's bad for a woman to be spiritual. I'm saying it's bad for a man not to be. And so so one of the things I, I think that's important is to understand how can a husband that doesn't feel qualified to lead spiritually, how does he lead spiritually? Like, how does he become the head of the home in a spiritual manner? Um, Perry's got some stuff to offer on this. Uh, my suggestion is um, pretty simple. Start somewhere, right? Um just start somewhere. What we do sometimes is we, we try to make it so complicated that we can't do anything. Start with something. So, yeah. so maybe your idea of, you know, and, and Perry can share what she thinks uh, a, a spiritual leader should be in the home. Um, and then I can give you some tips, guys, on how to do that. So what are you, what, thi- what are you looking for? Yeah, one thing, too, um, I have a, some of you that know me well, like I can tend to, um, want to lead spiritually too. And so sometimes you have to allow, like I have to allow him to do that because I think naturally I enjoy leading. Um, but it works so much better when you do it God's way. And so sometimes I have to choose not to be dominant and to let him hear from the Lord and let him lead our family spiritually when I'm the one that wants to take over and do that. And that's not my role. It is my role to lead spiritually, but it's his job to be the head of the family and lead spiritually. And that's something from Eve. Like the Bible literally says in Genesis, when God punishes Adam and Eve, he tells Eve, you've got a desire to be over your husband. Like you've got this desire to be over him. And he says, but that's not your place. And it was, it's harsh, but God put it on her, you know? And, and, and I think we look at that story of Adam and Eve and, and Adam, like a dummy, wasn't in his role, and he allowed Eve to go talk to the serpent. Adam should have taken control in that situation. So when, when there's a power vacuum, someone's going to step into it. And God says, there's, there's going to be a problem. He says, Perry is going to want to dominate in the home because she is driven that way. But there's a place where she's got to take a step back. And Gabriel sometimes, the man is going to want to take it easy and be chill and relaxed and loose, and he's going to have to take a step up. And so there's a place where those two dynamics have to work against our nature, right? And sometimes, it's not all the time, it's not my job to tell him how to lead spiritually either. 
I might have an idea in my head of how I think he should be leading our family and how he should be hearing from God and what he should be hearing from God and what he should be doing. That's not my role. I know we joke about how I say I'm the Holy Spirit, and I kind of am, but um, not really. But I have to allow him the freedom. God's given him a personality. God's given him ears to hear. You know, God's given him... um, the ability to lead and it may not be he may not lead his family the way Bobby leads his family or the way Paul leads his family it's going to look different so don't compare don't think your husband should lead like Gabriel's leading mine allow God to speak to him um, and let him lead in the way he should and something to just guys like it may not and you may speak to this too like it doesn't have to be um have a sermon and and a devotion every night it could be as simple as i prayed for you today or i'm going to pray for the kids tonight before bed or what else uh yeah so like for for us i don't want to necessarily have a sermon or a devotion every night I, I do that for a living and so it's it would be like um going home and then having to do your job at home again. You know what I mean? It's just it's just difficult. Um, I end up preaching and the kids are falling asleep and the dog's barking. It just it never works out well. And no one ever gives me an offering. Um, so I, I, I think, though, it's important to see, like, and there's a, there's a level of frustration that can come from this if, like, whenever, whenever we've struggled with this before and she's trying to lead, trying to lead, trying to lead, and I feel like I'm a pastor of a church. I lead people every day. Every Sunday, people come and listen. And I'm, this sounds prideful. I don't mean it this way. But people come and listen to things that I say. And they, and they take my advice. And then I come home and I'm told what to do. And it's frustrating. Does that make sense? Some of you guys, you might be in a leadership role at your job, and then you come home and you feel like you have to take a step back. That's a frustrating, hard place to be. And so that's where the woman has to step in and say, I'm going to allow them to lead. You know, I'm, I'm not going to push that. Um, I can tell a story from our personal life. There was oh a time when we were um, changing um, jobs, and at the time, leading our family when he changes jobs that means I have to change jobs and you know so it it doesn't just affect him obviously y'all know the same thing it affects your whole your whole life and I remember just feeling very unsafe um and just you know insecure about the changes that were ahead and I'm I'm someone that digs roots roots deeply and likes to be settled and um I'm not opposed to change but I don't seek it out um and I remember just constantly asking him, well, what about this? What about this? You know, just trying to not control him but control the situation. And I remember when I finally just broke down and I looked at him and I said, look, if you can just tell me that this is God, then I'm going to be okay. And it was like God was working in me to say, hey, look, if if I'm speaking to him, that's all you have to know. Like, all you have to do is just submit and be okay and know that I'm taking care of you too. And that's not just, that's a lot of pressure for him. It really is. And I think that's part of being the head is there is pressure that comes with that. But it also took pressure off of him and knowing that, hey, my wife is going to be okay if I'm, as long as I'm leading this family. Um, 
in a, in a godly way. And is he going to get it right all the time? No. Do I get it right all the time? No. Like there is going to be moments where we screw up, you know, when I'm not, you know, doing the right thing and I'm not supporting him like I should. And there's going to be times when he gets it wrong. And that's not to say that, you know, your marriage is over, but that, you know, it's just a learning moment. That's the time we go back to the Holy Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, we need you to guide us. We messed up. So, guys, how do you start? Um, the Bible says uh, we hear that the idea of the priest of the home, right? What did the priest do in the Old Testament? The priest stood between God and the people. So the priest would go to God for the people, and then the priest would go to the people for God. So here's a great way to start. Go to God for your people. So every day, you don't have to be long. You don't have to be eloquent. Every day, go to God for your people. So, so if Cam goes home and wakes up tomorrow and Cam says, okay, I'm going to be the priest of my home today, all that means is Cam might just say, God, I'm praying for Maggie today, that whatever she does, that you'd bless it, that you would speak to her heart, that you would give her comfort and peace. I'm praying for my kids today, that wherever they go, they're going to be blessed, that they're going to grow strong, and they're going to be smart. Amen. Boom, what just happened? Cam just stepped into a role as priest of his home. Right? He stood between God and the people. It wasn't hard. It wasn't magnificent. There was no light coming down from heaven. But that's how you start. You start with reading your Bible. You don't have to read a bunch of it. Read one chapter. I'm doing a series on Peter. Read one chapter of 1 Peter to get started. And then, then you go tell your wife. You're not showing off. You're not bragging. You go tell your wife, babe. Here's what I read in 1 Peter today. And there's this one sentence that stood out to me. Isn't that cool? And then that's it. Today we're at the house. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. And I tell Perry, man, I can't believe Peter says, honor the emperor. And Nero is the emperor that killed him. Isn't that crazy, babe? I mean, just one little thing. It doesn't mean much. It doesn't even have much to do with, with life in general. But it was one little nugget that I'm letting her know in a very normal way, we're just having a conversation. But now she knows my husband's actually reading his Bible and paying attention to it. Now, what he learned from the Bible has nothing to do with my family, but at least he's reading his Bible, right? At least he's praying. And so sometimes I'll even text Perry or I'll text the kids. And I know you're not supposed to text them while they're in school. I'll say, hey, I'm praying for you today. I love you. Um, do good on your test. Hey, I'm praying for you today. I know you got meetings at work. And I just want you to know I'm praying for God's peace during those meetings. It's those little things as a way to start being the priest, start being the spiritual leader of your home. Um, I know we've got to hurry. Uh, we got kids back there. So John and Anna said they really wanted to talk about sex. So I'm going to let them jump right into the intimacy portion of, because what we were going to say is, what we is it? like a 20-minute conversation on how not to make this awkward and say it like that. And so I just, just wanted to go in and make it awkward. Yeah. Right? Does anybody feel awkward now? Yep. You don't feel awkward. You're so happy I'm talking about sex. You're like, yeah. Tell us what to do. Um, so the Bible, we talked about... We talked about That's my a, cue to exit the stage. A healthy... We were being way too serious. We need to laugh. The Bible, I mean, one of the things we talked about is a healthy marriage um, has maintenance. A healthy marriage is growing and a healthy marriage produces. I'm not talking about kids here. So what, what does a marriage produce? It produces intimacy, it produces fellowship, and it produces ministry. 
your marriage, you should be friends. There should be fellowship in your marriage. There should be ministry coming out of your marriage. Some, not necessarily from the pulpit, but you should be ministering to other people. You should be helping others. And there should be intimacy. Ready? Go. What does that look like? Not what does it look like. That's a bad way. Well, it looks different for everybody. Um, I think. I hope not. Um, This is going to get off the rails quick. Can we be done? So you've heard this said before, and and I believe it's true. Men won't respond. Ladies, well, I should let you say this part, but I'm going to say it and you can comment. But men aren't going to open up emotionally unless their physical needs are being met. Right? Women are not going to open up physically unless their emotional needs are met. Okay. Yes. I feel like that's a mic drop um, situation because... Are you proud? I'm very proud. I'm very proud. All that Jimmy Evans paid off. Jimmy Evans is a marriage counselor that we watch on YouTube um, or a pastor. It's Um, on the back of your sheet, too. Go to his YouTube channel. Great stuff, y'all, for reals. Um, Okay, so this is so true, and, and... you know how when he gets, let's say, I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I'm going to, I'm just, we're just, just work with me here, okay? I'm on the struggle bus. All right, so I'm at home all day with the kids, right? The house is a mess, and, I mean, kids are kids, so, you know, what, what you going to do? And he comes home, like, happy as a lark, and then I'm, I'm just dead to the world. Like, I am so tired. Like, I, I don't feel any of my needs are met. My love tank is not full. Like, I am not in the mood. I am the polar opposite of a good mood. Definitely not that mood, okay? Definitely not. And then he's like, hey, how you doing? You looking good making my dinner. And I'm just like. You don't have to make I, it sound creepy. Like, I, I feel like y'all did a great job about making it sound creepy. Um, okay, but, okay, well, he does whatever. Um, so, yeah, so. So my needs are not met. I don't want to be physical with you. Like, I don't, I, I do not want to go anywhere with you. Um, and then he wants to go somewhere. So we are on opposite planets at that point in time. So if I, if I sit down on the couch then and he, and he has a need, um, if I sit down on the couch and I'm like, honey, let's talk about our day. Let's try to connect. Let's try to bring it back in. Um, so I'm trying to get myself like up here where I, where I need to be, where I want to be. Right. So let's just say I do that. This is hard. This is a lot harder than I thought it would be y'all. Okay. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying here. Um, so we're there. I'm connecting. Uh, No, 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 no. Don't make that face. No, this is quality time. So we're having quality time. We're connecting. Right. So then I actually do feel connected. So then I actually do. He has taken the time to meet an emotional need that I had, right? So then he goes into the kitchen, doesn't say anything, not checking off a box, not doing anything. He just goes into the kitchen to like, I say that because I, I, that gets on my nerves. I'm like, I know you're just trying to to do stuff, to do stuff. Okay. So no, um, not going to get away that easy, but okay. So he goes in the kitchen, cleans it up. He is meeting a need that I had. And so, therefore, I am, like, more apt to do stuff, right? So then, and, go ahead. And it's, uh, please and, go ahead. Please. Like, I think that a lot of times we can start bad, a bad cycle. So if I feel like my needs aren't being met, then I, I even 
I don't even try at all to try to meet her emotional needs. And then, guess what happens? Then that stuff that I just talked about gets even worse. Sex? Yes. Okay. And then, and then once again, so it starts this cycle of I'm not meeting her needs, my needs aren't met, and then you start kind of this mean cycle. And I think, yeah. I think it's important, um, and some of you might be here today and your spouse isn't a believer, might not serve God, but even in those circumstances, I still feel like God can bless and honor your marriage, and he can use you um, meeting needs to, to be able for him to emotionally open up to feel like you're one. Does that make sense? And so I think that if, if, I, if I truly care about her, then I want to know. And, and this, one's, this one's hard, I think, for all guys because it's like pulling teeth to open up emotionally. Like, I don't like it. You know, like, I mean, we're all up here being vulnerable I don't think any man is just like, man, I cannot wait to just really tell her my deepest feelings. But guys, if we're honest, stuff bothers us too. And if we're honest, we go through different stages in the year or in a day or in in our marriage. And if we don't communicate those things, like the, the woman always gets a bad rap by saying we can't read their mind, but they can't read our mind either. Right. It's just we want to we want to act like we're tough and we don't have that that those needs. And I'm not just talking about physical stuff, but there's a connection there that needs to happen on an emotional level. And if we're not going to make that connection, then most likely the physical stuff isn't going to be as fulfilling, fulfilling. And it's not going to be as available. Yeah. And so, um, for sure, no. needs aren't met. And, no, it's not. and just staying out of the bad cycle, I don't think that anyone should use sex as a weapon. Like, I don't think that you should withhold to punish. Um, that is definitely going to be in the bad cycle. But either side, like we're talking about sex here, like don't, like mainly women don't withhold sex, okay? But, I mean, men, <laughs> okay, they're not going to withhold that. But... <laughs> What? Okay, let's just, for real, though. Okay. I mean, you said, thank you. It's the truth. Okay. But they'll withhold they'll, their emotional connection to you. Okay? So that is really what he's saying is that that mean cycle, I'm going to withhold sex from him because I know that's what he wants. But he's going to withhold emotional need meeting to me because he knows that's what I want. And so then it becomes, a, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this because I know you want it and need it. And then he's going to do the same. And so that is the mean cycle that he's talking about. But he will open up and share things after his needs are met. Like he's way more apt to do that. So it is. And, and here is something interesting. God created sex. And the devil did not. And it's not from him. He just perverted it. And so God has it beautiful. It is a gift that he has given to marriage for us. And it is for the woman and it is for the man. It is for both of us. This is not a, oh gosh, you're such an animal, Jonathan. Like this is not that kind of situation. Guess what? You are too. You just need to learn how to connect with each other in the way that you both become fulfilled because that is how God intended it to be. It is an intimate, wonderful thing that 
a gift that the Lord gave us for our marriage. And the, and the, the main question was, what should a healthy marriage be producing? We're saying intimacy, communicate more. And then Pastor Gabriel touched on it. He, there's ministry. And I, I felt like this was a really good thought um, just in general, but especially for marriages and those of us that believe and want to serve God. Culture is telling us we need more and more and more. What can I get, get, get? And I would like to challenge us all today. The void that you might be feeling in your heart might not be what you can get, but it's what you're not giving. Mm-hmm. Like God designed us all to give. Yeah. God designed us all to contribute. Um, and if you're not the way God designed us, then there's going to be that void. So it's just a different way of looking at it. Um, and, and it's not about being qualified like God definitely, if you look in the Bible, definitely called the unqualified. Yeah. It was just, am I willing to jump in there? You're speaking about marriage ministry, right? Yeah. I, and, and I'm just thinking, like, sometimes our marriages might feel empty. Yeah. Or as individuals, we might feel like there's something missing. It might be something that we're not giving. Yeah. One of my favorite things, and, and she's got a job, so she can't do my job with me. Um, but one of my favorite things is whenever we have opportunities and people say this all the time, they'll say, I would love to come sit down or we would love to come sit down and talk to you and Perry. I love it when they include her into wanting to talk to me because I feel like, and so, and I'm constantly saying, Hey, do you want to come talk with this person with me? Because I love having her work with me when it comes to ministry stuff, when it comes to helping other people, even if I wasn't a pastor on staff, if someone were to just say, hey, I see your marriage, I see your life, I want to come talk to you guys, that to me is huge, the fact that we get to do something together. Because most of our ministry is not together. She sings, I, I speak. And I don't ever want to sing. And she doesn't like to speak. Um, and so there's a lot of that stuff that doesn't coincide. So whenever we have that opportunity to bless another couple or bless a family, we love, I love it. I love it. I can't speak for her. I love to have that chance to work alongside my wife in ministry. Um, we really need to go. We've kept you guys uh, a long time. There is one story. Um, I don't even know. Do you, do you guys have time to get into it? Do you think? To I, I, we, we can share the whole thing later, but okay. I just want to. Yeah, I just want to comment on the question. And so the, the question is, how do you love each other through a crisis, burnout, difficult situation? How do you still love each other through that? And I, I, I'm this is the most passionate thing that I'm, I'm I'm passionate about in this whole night. Um, how how do you love your spouse through crisis or burnout or just things that happen in life? Um, I feel like there's a big problem in the church, not necessarily our church, but the church in America, is the whole church culture on going through crisis is broken. Because when you go through crisis, basically you are taught, and it's not overt, but you're taught to act like nothing's wrong. And you're, and you're taught to keep, and, and, and this is what I mean, it's, it's very hypocritical a pastor will say all the right things to do to keep you, give you a healthy marriage and live a godly life. And then it seems like every week we hear stories about people in ministry having moral failures or this, that, and the other. 
And so, like, we're really good at saying stuff, not really great at following our own advice or following the word. And I feel like if we if we don't handle crisis in our marriage correctly, then we won't ever have the issue resolved before it falls apart. And so I'm, I'm just going to do it really quick. But when we first moved here um, at our old church, we had two services. I'm going to go quick. But we had two services. We were in Mobile. Um, Anna walks into my office after the first service. And she said, I feel like God wants us to move. And I told her to get out um, because I was about to lead worship for the second service. It was real mean, but I was just like, get out of here. And so Pastor Gabriel had talked to us, to us about coming. And so we prayed about it and we came. So, so it was a big step. Like there was probably 35, 40 people at the church at the time. We were at a church at around 500. I felt very safe, established. But we're like, we're obeying God. You know, and we're going we're gonna to obey Him. We're going to do what He asks us to do. And it felt like as soon as we took that big step of faith, everything hit the fan. Like, everything hit the fan. My wife struggled with, ladies, if, if you know um, endometriosis, it's very severe physical, um, female pain, and it took a toll on her and it took a toll on our marriage. Um, and so we came here and that whole situation got worse. Um, she ended up needing surgery. I'm trying to establish a culture here at church, start a new job. And I'm just trying to keep my head above water, but I'm not addressing necessarily what God was wanting me to address during the crisis. I'm just trying to do whatever I can in my own strength to continue to get to the next day. And what I realize now is God was trying to. There's several stories in the Bible. The one that comes to my mind is Gideon is he kept on taking stuff away from Gideon. He kept on taking away Gideon's comfort. He kept on. Um taking away Gideon's confidence, all the things that we rely on that could be something that we had control of. God just kept on taking that away. And I feel like that's what he was doing for us in our marriage. Like the, the different things that we were leaning on that kind of made us feel stable is like, no, I need, I, need to, I need to pull all this back and get to what really needs to happen to strengthen your marriage because I'm in full-time ministry right I mean I, I stand up in front of y'all every week and we smile and sing and it's not always fun Pastor Gabriel could tell you the same thing Pastor Mike and Miss Sue could tell you the same thing it's not always fun but so I'm going through this Anna's really sick and the the very cool part of the story is we were told that we weren't going to be able to have kids and I will tell that whole story again later. But God healed my wife. And now we have two. Um, and so it's like the biggest high and blessing. But going through all the sickness, all the pregnancy stuff, I'm living with um, my sister. We're living with my sister this whole time. It's just a lot of stress. My sister was going through some different things at the time as well. And... 
when Vivian was born, and I'm not proud of this, when, but when Vivian got here and was born, I checked the heck out. Like, I didn't, I didn't leave her, but mentally, I was done. Because I had tried to rely on my own strength for too long. And I, I, I'm not excited to tell you all this, but I was like, I either have to check out or I'm going to have a mental breakdown. Like, that's the way I felt. And it's not fun, like, saying that, but it's, it's where I was. And through that process, Anna is dealing with a newborn, and she started to get some fight because she didn't have the disease that she had anymore. And so she started pushing back very hard on some love the, languages. The pendulum swung. Is that what you say? Yeah, I was like, oh, a little passive Anna. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I'll, I'll break your face off, Anna. She, so. she, started, she started pushing hard. And I didn't know how to take it because she was always just went with the flow because she was so physically worn down that she didn't have the energy to actually stand by an opinion or, or uh, conviction that she had. And so I don't, I don't think for a minute that I was abusive or, or bad to her, but I was not giving her what she needed. And she started telling the story about four years ago. That was when Vivian was born, and that's the argument she's talking about. And we had, it wasn't like a disagreement. It was an uncomfortable situation. And it was one of the 24-hour periods. So after a 24-hour period, I got up. And I'm not telling you this because I'm so great because I did a lot of stuff wrong. But I got up that next morning, and I looked at her in the face at our kitchen table, and I said, you know what? I choose you. I, I choose you. And I don't care what it takes. We're going to work this out. And once again... This is a guy that led worship every Sunday for his job. And I just want to pull back this curtain that if a pastor that's in full-time ministry is going through stuff like this, then more than likely y'all do too. And I think my point is God, sometimes I feel like he raises the stakes and takes away options and canes and and structures that we can't lean on anymore so we'll actually deal with the problem and the problem was is I wasn't loving her the way she needed it I was loving her the way I thought that could get us to the next day and I think God just put pot press stop on everything and we started going to a counselor and Perry was talking about how there's a stigma with that who cares your marriage is worth it. Your marriage is worth it. Listen, listen to me. I said this the last time I preached, but what got Satan kicked out of heaven was his pride. And so there's no reason for us to hold on to our pride when we're here on earth. Cause when we go, we can't keep it anyway. Your marriage is way more important than what people think. It's way more important than your job title. It's way more important than what your friends or your family might think. Your marriage is worth it. And the, and the reason why, statistically, 
church marriages don't last any longer than those that don't believe is because we're going about it the same way. We're trying to do, we're trying to do this, this marriage thing the same way. And we're taking our cues from a culture that is broken. And therefore, the American church's culture can be broken. But I just want to encourage y'all tonight. Do the hard things, man. Do the hard things. Do the work because God will bless it. And it's not always fun, but I can sit here today and say, and she can too, that our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. But it took work. It took work. Um, We were talking about marriage, and we've been married almost 18 years. There are good seasons and bad seasons or, or seasons of, you know, easy and seasons of hard, but regardless in the hard ones and in the easy ones, push into God, choose each other every day, choose God every day. And don't, when they, when you do go through the hard seasons, don't quit and don't just let it be and say, Oh, this is a hard season. Press into each other, press into the Lord and make it through those hard seasons. And when they're good, be thankful and be grateful and enjoy and laugh during those seasons too. So the last thing um, we're going to do today is just kind of encourage you and give you a challenge for this month. Um, We are going to ask that you pray together at least once a day, okay? And it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. Um, It can just be something simple. And Gabriel and I will be the first to admit this, and this is kind of embarrassing for us, that sometimes this is, is awkward, even for us as a pastor and a pastor's wife, that it's sometimes awkward to say, hey, let's pray together whenever you really want to watch Netflix or um, just go to sleep or have sex, either, you know, whatever you want to do. No, Um, just pray together, um, pray together every day, hold hands and pray. You can let him pray. You can both pray. You can take turns. It doesn't matter how you do it. And it doesn't, you don't have to have the right words, um, but just pray together. And you'd be surprised how that will join you together spiritually um, is so important. So do that. Why don't we stand up? Let's practice We're and then we'll pray leave. pray for y'all. <laughs> I will say this, um, and for those of you watching, if you're dating and you're not married yet, I would be, this sounds so stupid, I would be very careful praying together alone. Pray on the phone together. I know that sounds so dumb, but there is something so intimate about praying with each other. There really is um, that uh, you'll you'll be praying and then you'll be in sin. And so we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Here's what I want you to take your take your person's hand. Um, If you don't have your if you don't have your person here with you, then that's okay. You just close your eyes and pretend like they're there. Um, I want you to take your person by the hand. I'm going to just pray over you tonight, but I want you to pray for each other. It doesn't have to be special. It doesn't have to be long. Just pray something for the person um, that's with you tonight. Lord Jesus, I love you so much, and I love you, and I thank you uh, for marriage. I thank you that you established marriage from the beginning. God, that from the very beginning of of the creation, God, you